Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. I'm pretty excited about our program today. I consider it a treat for you. I really appreciate speaking to live audiences. And last week, we played to you part one of a talk I gave to a Catholic spiritual warfare conference out in California. And the theme of that conference was the family under attack. And, you know, it was a great group of people, and I had really an overwhelming reaction uh, from the group after giving the talk I'm going to play to you. And I will say, folks came running back to our book table and pretty much cleaned us out in very short order uh, regarding a couple of resources that you're going to want after hearing this message today. So just stay tuned till the end of today's show, and I'll be sharing with you how to get the resources I mentioned. But let's go now live to the Spiritual Warfare Conference, The Family Under Attack. Who wrote the Pentateuch? Okay. All right. Who wrote Matthew? Mark? Luke? John? Okay, that's two. Third question. Who wrote the 12 Pauline epistles? Who wrote the 12 epistles that in both Greek and English translations, the first word in those epistles is Paul? Guess who wrote those? Well, do you know that New Testament scholars are sitting around saying, well, I think he wrote six, nah, seven, nah, five. That's what New Testament studies is doing. And they don't realize what they're doing is rather than receiving what the church has passed on through the centuries, if you deny authorship, you're placing doubt in the veracity of God's word. This is extremely serious business. Okay, so that's just the first fang. Here's the second fang. Oh, i got to mention this. You're the first group that I've ever shared with this publicly. And again, I don't think you've ever heard this in any Catholic media. For years, archaeologists have been searching for the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah, rather intensely, for decades. Meanwhile, scripture scholars, you may have heard some of them, say, well, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, or the myth of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, hear me. You can't oppose those who seek to destroy marriage and family life and swallow the venom. You're not going to do it. So Sodom... They've been searching for years, and an evangelical archaeologist decided rather to get the Bible, and it speaks about this huge, green, kind of very fertile area that surrounded Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, very, it was the most prosperous area at that time. Most archaeological explorations were on the south end of the Dead Sea. They've even taking, taken submersibles under the Dead Sea looking for Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, he went on the north side of the Dead Sea, right across the Jordan River in Jordan itself. And lo and behold, let me tell you what they found. 
They were digging down to the Middle Bronze Age, the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're digging, by the way, this archaeologist was from New Mexico. And they're digging and they found this kind of green substance. And they all go, what is this? Nobody had any idea what it was. And fortunately, there is an older guy who had worked with the U.S. military in 1945 in New Mexico. During, I think it was July 16th, 1945, it was either 521 or 529 a.m., the first nuclear explosion in the history of mankind at the Trinity site. And the temperatures went from some, somewhere between 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit to 18,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Nobody got close enough to put a thermometer in there. But it was very high temperatures over the New Mexico sand. And the high temperatures followed by rapid cooling formed a green-like substance called trinitite. Okay? Now go back to the Middle East, New Mexico archaeologist digging in the dirt after millennia finds this green substance and everybody's going, what is that? Well, the military guy says, hey, professor, that looks like trinitite. So they took it back to a New Mexico lab, the same one that analyzed trinitite from the Trinity site in 1945. And guess what? It's the same stuff. And there's absolutely nothing Nothing back then that you could come up with that could achieve those kind of temperatures back then. And yet Trinitite is found at the site of Sodom. And very interesting, the priest who has been for 40 years in charge of the Pontifical Academy for collecting uh, various artifacts from the Middle East thinks that Dr. Collins has actually found it. He's actually found the very gates of Sodom where Lot sat. These are the kind of things when our culture is debating, we've moved beyond the Bible is true. We've moved beyond thinking Sodom and Gomorrah is real. It's kind of a myth. We can be gay about all this. No, it's very sobering, extremely sobering. And God knew at the beginning, protology, what would be destroying the faith, the family, and the church at the end of time. And so he allowed that to happen as a warning for us today. You get this? By the way, I have a piece of Trinitite back there on my book table. It's just a little speck, size of your little finger, fingernail. And don't worry, there's actually a certification from a nuclear lab that says if you actually pick it up and look at it, your fingers will not be glowing as you go to bed tonight. <laughs> All right, so that's just the first attack. The second attack comes from a denial of God's word. You see, Satan didn't stop with doubt. Doubt is just the beginning. And if you look what's happened in the modern era, you have church leaders, Protestant and Catholic, coming from traditions who are denying basic things, basic doctrines, basic morality. Where did this come from? It starts with doubt and then proceeds to denial. And the serpent said, you will not die. But instead, you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. Satan, this second fang in which to deliver venom, was the first moral relativist. 
by that, rather than certain things being true for all people at all times, in all situations, you kind of determine what's right for you in this situation. Do you get the difference? And it wasn't like Satan was tempting them to be immoral as much as he was tempting them to the height of idolatry to be like God because he alone determines from himself right and wrong. In fact, you want to know what the Antichrist final bait is going to be? It's going to be a state of consciousness where everyone is little gods who determines whatever is right morally for themselves. It's not trying to tempt them to be immoral, but to be moral from their own perspective. The Bible calls this doing what is right in your own eyes. That's not morality. Morality is doing what's right in God's eyes. We take morality from Him, from the tradition of the church. We don't invent it according to our situations and our whims and our desires. Now, I, I couldn't believe this myself, but you know, the Knights of Columbus, to their credit, did a nationwide study of Catholic older teens and young adults, the millennials and such. There are some good things, there are some bad things. But there is a horrible thing stuck in the middle of that report, and nobody has pressed the battle buzzer. 82% of the Catholic youth studied by the Knights are basically moral relativists, determining right from wrong according to their own perspective. Now, you want to know how serious this is? The general American population of American youth is 64% are moral relativists. Catholic youth, 82%. It's worse than the general public. This is so serious because this is that venom that John Paul II was talking about that has just caused havoc in the human race. There is a book written by C.S. Lewis that if you're a parent, if you're not convinced on this, or even if you are, it's called The Abolition of Man. And Lewis saw, I guess in the 50s, what was happening. Our educational system was consciously making moral relativists out of young people. And, you know, and Lewis is a very moderate person. But he came up with kind of like apocalyptic statements that, that this is going to lead to the dehumanization of mankind. This is the abolition of mankind. This is the serpent's venom. Protology, eschatology. And it's coming out full stream and Catholic youth have it considerably worse than the general American population. John Paul II, when he went to Denver, this is what he talked about. Vast sectors of society are uncertain about what is true. This is the bedrock of morality. It's not simply what you're supposed to do morally, but how you go about that decision from God's perspective or from the throne of your own ego. This is the fight that's on. Now, what are the consequences for young people? If your children are moral relativists, they're twice as likely to watch pornography. If your children are moral relativists, they're three times more likely to use illegal drugs. 
And before you go rushing for thinking, we just need another chastity seminar. No, we need another <laughs> moral seminar. How will we make our moral decisions? If your children are moral relativists, they are four times more likely to approve of premarital intercourse as a moral choice. Four times more likely. Now, this one came, I'm familiar with George Barna. He's a religious pollster, somewhat like Gallup. Barna's study made a shocking discovery. See, the strategies being using, and I'm not against chastity seminars, but there's something more fundamental that will make them work. Barna's study made the shocking discovery that a young person's views of sexual morality are more influenced by their view of truth than whether or not they claim to be practicing Christians. Did you get this? It's the moral relativism makes a Christian youth worse off than a non-Christian youth who, you see, even pagans had certain absolutes. This is why Lewis recognized that what was happening in the abolition of man is something far worse than simply paganism. Pagans had certain absolutes. Modern philosophers, and it's trickled down to our young people, it's destroying them. Certain things are right for all people at all times, in all situations. And children are taught that, mom and dad, by you. Somebody, you give them a, a 10 and they make change for a 20. Certain things are right for all people at all times and all situations. Oh, you made a mistake. You gave me too much money. Your kids will notice that. They know that you're not making up the rules as you go. I'm a little short this week, so, you know, that extra 10, that was just God's provision. No, that's stealing. Okay? Now, right along with that, you have the serpent's attack. And here's how he's coming today. Doubt, denial, and then his next strategy is sexual sin. And he used this in the Old Testament. And the reason it hasn't changed one bit is because it's incredibly effective. In the Old Testament, there is the account of Balaam and his talking ass. Balaam was a prophet hired to curse God's people. And on the way, you know, an angel was blocking the way, and God opened the mouth of his ass to say, basically, you're one <laughs> uh, for trying to do this. So Balaam stupidly goes and tries to curse God's people. Guess what? This is spiritual combat. Because you bring a curse on them, you know, you separate them from God. He couldn't curse them. He opened his mouth and blessing came out. So they moved him in another way. Maybe this way it'll work. And he opened his mouth again and blessing came out. Couldn't curse them. Couldn't defeat God's people. So he thought, I got an idea. Sexual immorality with the women of Moab. And you engage in the sexual immorality and you change your religious beliefs. Begin worshiping false gods along with the sexuality. And that's the game plan today. Today. It hasn't changed one bit. In the early church, our first pope wrote that Balaam's strategy was being used in the Catholic Church. Second Peter chapter 2, starting with the first verse. False prophets also arose among the people. 
Old Testament. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will bring in destructive heresies, and many will follow their licentiousness. Basically, a free, tip, uh, free sex kind of uh, approach to Christian morality. That's what the false prophets. Verse 15, dropping down. Again, this is Second Peter. Peter writing our first pope. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. This is what the attack was in the first century church. St. Jude, verse 11. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Book of Revelation, chapter 2. The Balaam strategy was being used against the Catholic Church in Pergamum. Jesus wrote, I have a few things against you, for you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice immorality. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Satan's throne was Pergamum's altar. It was an altar to Zeus, and it was one of the early centers where the Roman emperor claimed to be God and wanted worship. And, of course, what went with false religion was immorality. And this is what Jesus was commanding St. John to write to a Catholic church in Pergamum. I know where you live. It's where Satan's throne is. In 1930, the Germans took Satan's throne to Berlin and opened a museum, the Pergamum Museum. And within 36 months, Hitler was chancellor. Do you see how this works? Evil pops out in the world, but first you have to seduce the world through sexual immorality. What do you do about that? You go to your offensive weapon. Psalm 119 and verse 9 if you have a son, if you're a man, hear this verse, verse 9 and verse 11. First, it's a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? What a question for the 21st century. How in the world can a man keep himself pure in today's world? The answer, by guarding it according to thy word. I have laid up thy word, not in the Bible on the shelf at home, but in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Do you get this? I have prepared, definitely, the younger your children are, you begin this, the better. A little scripture memory pack. One of the scriptures in here I had memorized, and honestly, really honestly, I don't think I'd be a Catholic. I don't think I'd be here today. I think I'd be lost if it wasn't for one of these scriptures that I had memorized. And then, in a precise moment, when I really needed some help, what you put in your heart gets activated by the Holy Spirit, and you have some strength that otherwise you may not have. Jesus Christ himself, when he did spiritual combat with the devil himself, three times after the devil came at him once, he comes back, it is written, and out of his mouth, not even opening his Bible, out of his mouth, it is written, came scripture. Devil came at him a second time, it is written, it came back again. Devil came at him a third time, it is written, and the devil gave up. Do you see how this works? 
And if Jesus needed to internalize Scripture to fight off the devil, I'll tell you, I do. Okay, so these are just a little Scripture memory pack. If you're a grandparent, I would say give your grandchildren a quarter for every one of these scriptures they memorize. But then I got to thinking, thanks to deficit spending, you can't even buy a pack of gum for a quarter. So give them a buck per scripture. Okay? It's worth it. It's definitely worth it. And there's stuff here to resist temptation, how to seek out God's mercy if you've fallen, how to have your defenses up. And then secondly... I have a scripture memory program. It's on our website, dads.org. It's absolutely free. So when you boot up your Mac or your Windows computer, one of these scriptures in this pack randomly pops up. And you start your day, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. It's absolutely free. And if you're like me, who still uses Windows, you have to reboot, do the thing crashing a couple times during the day. You get two or three scriptures uh, during your daily time. The third thing, I've written two little booklets, one for married men called Breaking Free, and it has a laptop on the cover, and another recently for younger men, it has a smartphone on the cover. And in the back section of both of these booklets are all these same scriptures with a very concise application on how you can use these scriptures in spiritual combat in today's world. You've been listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and you've been hearing a talk that I gave at a Catholic spiritual warfare conference in California, and the subject of this particular conference was the family under attack. And I've been trying to draw your attention both this week and the part one, which was last week, to the two fangs that Satan uses to try to get his venom in our veins. That venom of doubt and unbelief and unfaithfulness begins with placing doubt in God's word, that's fang one, and then denial of God's word. I'd like to share with you a scripture from Jesus himself. This is from John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. And you need to listen to this very carefully because we're all aware of what I would call symptoms of our cultural decay and attack on our faith. We're all aware that the majority of Catholic young people, when they hit late teens and early 20s, are walking away from the faith. Yet we want to get to the root of what is going on, and what better testimony to get that root cause than from Jesus himself, who said this, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, the first five books of the Bible, how will you believe my words? And so undermining the idea that Moses was the author of the first five books of the Bible is a great way, a fundamental way, to not only erode belief in the early chapters of the Bible, but to pull the carpet out from under the Gospels itself. And is it any wonder, if young people opposed to such poisonous, venomous teaching, that they wander away from the faith and unbelief? To correct this situation, I want to mention some resources that we have for you. I've prepared a CD along with a 13-page handout, which I take all the 
what I'd call phony arguments against Moses being the author of the Pentateuch and answer them very briefly. It's only 13 pages along with a 60-minute CD, and this is the type of thing that you need to get into the hands of your children before they hit a religious education class in high school or college, no matter where they go to school. And it's entitled, Did Moses Really Write the Pentateuch? And I strongly encourage you to get that and digest it. Make sure your children have that armor so they can go into spiritual warfare being assured of their faith. Now, I'm sure like that you, perhaps for the first time in your life, heard about Trinitite, both uh, its findings after the first nuclear explosion in 1945 in New Mexico, and then finding the same Trinitite in the sands of the Middle East in Jordan from the great heat and blast that came from an ancient site of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, your children have been told, you know, God creating the world's a myth, the flood is a myth, and oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was just kind of a hospitality problem, something like Holiday Inn might have. No, sorry. It was a stark warning given at the beginning of human history of the judgment that would come again at the end of human history. And we have a book entitled Discovering the City of Sodom that you can find on our website. Again, the website is simply dads, D-A-D-S dot org. And the title is Discovering the City of Sodom. And I want to tell you, a lot of people came flying back to my book table wanting to see a piece of Trinitite uh, from the New Mexico nuclear blast. And you know what? This book, Discovering the City of Sodom, I believe we're the only Catholic organization in the entire world distributing this book, which is also unavailable through most common book-selling outlets, both physical stores and on the Internet. So you want to go to dads.org, Discovering the City of Sodom. The Trinitite found there is one great way to build faith in the early chapters of the Bible, which is part of Satan's attack on the family and particularly our children. So you want to bolster that faith. You've been listening to episode 118 of Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at FamilyLifeCenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.FamilyLifeCenter.net.